Everybody say humility. Humility. That is, you know, I don't know if I've ever just spent a series on talking on humility. And, and it's interesting because, because I've sort of tried to live my life being humble and trying to live my life in humility, not always with success. But Proverbs chapter 27 verse 2 says, Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. I think it's interesting. Let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. A stranger, not your own lips. And recently we received a letter from the Missouri Department of Social Services and and as as it was as a pastor, it was addressed to our church and everything that we do, but it also picked out a, a person on our staff that that really just stood out during a certain crisis moment. And so as a pastor, I was proud, but also Trish and I were proud as a mom and dad. And, and it said, I'm writing to express my profound gratitude. It's from Department of Social Services. It says, I am writing to express our profound gratitude to FLF for helping with various matters in our community. I cannot express enough how appreciative I am of our partnership with Family Life Fellowship. First, I wanted to commend Paige, in particular, and everyone else from FLF, who helped with the survivors of the Minden Amtrak derailment. When I heard that some of the survivors were coming to Moberly, I was trying to figure out where they were going to go to see if they needed a social worker services. I got a hold of Paula Heath, who asked me to come to First Christian and assist and spend the night with survivors. When I arrived, I expected everyone to be in a crisis, and instead I found Paige calmly making her way to each survivor, assessing their needs and putting a plan in place to help them. She was such a calm presence, so kind, and had a presence of mind to find items needed for each person. I can't tell you what a relief it is to the families and to me to have her there. And it goes on and it begins to talk about different aspects of what we did and the impact that we made and and, and that, that the church's information. And then it, then it closes down. It says, in addition, I want to thank you, FLF, for all the things that you do to support the foster children and other children in this community. You're always willing to loan your building supplies, food, volunteers, etc., whenever we ask. I know other communities who scramble to get the needs met for school supplies. And I can always confidently say that FLF has that covered in our community. I also thank you for the snacks recently provided to the Moberly Police Department Junior Police Academy. A big thank you to Bradley, who always helps deliver all the things we request here. One call and it was taken care of. Officer Mitchell was thrilled to get so many snacks donated so easily. Again, your service in this community is greatly appreciated. You've done so many things that I haven't thought to send you a thank you note, but I truly hope you know how appreciated you are. God shines through all of you, FLF. And I'm so grateful for all that you do. Give yourselves a great big hand clap. And, and man, it doesn't stop. I mean, I, I think about all the ladies who served at the Bring Your Own Fork for the men's event. I think about the 20 people that are going to serve at the Wiener Nationals today at the racetrack, all right? That's what it is. That'll be serving today. And, and then we have a team that's serving on Friday and Saturday for the Orsland property party. I just think about how your heart, that you don't seek that recognition. And, and, and I just honor you and we bless you today because you truly have the heart of a servant. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 and 12, and I'll tell you, it's an honor to brag on you. It's exciting to brag on you. But Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 and 12, really talks about the heart of who we are. Everybody say humility. It says, the greatest among you must be a servant. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be 
exalted. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you. Father, you talk about Moses and how he was humble. You give us incredible examples of people in the Word of God, Father. And you said that it comes down that, that you're not going to humble us. But Father, it's up to us to make that choice. It's up to us to make that choice each and every day to humble ourselves before you, humble ourselves before our, our wife, humble ourselves before our kids, humble ourselves in our job, everybody in our life. And Father, you say that if we want to be great in the kingdom of God, that that's the secret. And so, Father, as we unpack this for the next couple of weeks, Lord, I thank you for all those that are serving, who are humbling themselves, that are taking out garbage, who are, are, are doing the stuff that seems so menial, that don't get the recognition in the platform. But, Father, that you touch them, wrap your arms around them, Holy Spirit, let them know how special they are, that you see everything that they do, from changing a dirty diaper in the nursery, to wiping down a toilet stool on Thursday, Lord, from picking up the trash in the ditch on a Friday, Father, you see that. Honor them today, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when you have a group of people that tend to be together, and they're walking to an area, and as Pastor Brad and I was going to the Kansas City Chiefs game, I sort of began to notice this, and, and different things that I noticed, that you can have a group of people, let's say 13 people, and, and they don't really walk together in one big group. Some forge ahead, some lag behind, some prefer to be alone with their thoughts, some prefer to be in little groups of three or four in clusters, and they're all sort of making their way. And in Matthew 23, there's also another account of this story in Mark chapter 10, verse 32 through 45, and I'm not going to, we're going to sort of break it down, but, but it says early that Jesus is walking ahead of his disciples, or in other words, the other group sort of fell back a little bit. And when you study it, they fell back because of fear. Because it was a moment where they had to really decide, are they going to follow Jesus on their journey or not? They're headed towards Jerusalem, the center of religious and political power. Jesus had already upset all the power structures with his words. He had upset the power structures and the people with his miracles. And in essence, this group of 13 men were walking in to the lion's den. They knew that if they were associated with Christ, life wasn't going to be as comfortable as it was. And, and the Bible says that Jesus sensed, his, sensed the fear in them. And he says, you know what? Let me give you some insight of what's going to happen in Jerusalem. And he was beautifully and brutally honest with them. And I want to pick it up in verse 33. And I want you to think, what would I have said after I heard this? What would I have said after I heard this? Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of the religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him. They will spit on him. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, they will rise again. Man, Jesus just told you that. There's just the 13 of you. 
He just makes this statement to you of what is about to happen to his life. What would have been your first response? Think about it. What would have been your first response? Jesus, man, that, I am not going to let that happen to you. Man, it's not going to happen. Jesus, really, you're going to die that violently? Can't you stop it? Can't you call hell? You're rising three days. What do you mean? It seems that we would have asked those questions about what Jesus was facing. Are you sure you have to die so violently? Everybody say humility. But it's interesting. Because the disciples did not focus their attention on Jesus and what he just said, but they focused on themselves. And the brother James and John, known as the sons of thunder, start parading in right after Jesus makes this statement and says he's going to die this violent death. And look what the first, the first response out of their mouth. What would have been my first response? Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want to you to do us a favor. And Jesus says, what is your request? Now get this. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Their big question was, Who's going to be sit by Jesus? Come on. Don't miss that. I mean, it's right after. <clears throat> Instead of expressing compassion and care and concern about the death of Jesus, and not just dying, man, he's not on hospice and just dying with morphine. Man, he's dying a, a violent, tortured type death. And how many times are we like that? And then the other disciples, they caught wind in verse 41 of the conversation of James and John. And all of a sudden, here we go, we got, we got an argument breaking out. No, you don't get to sit next to Jesus. I get to sit next to Jesus. No, you're not sitting next to Jesus. You aren't allowed there. You did this and you did that. And an amazing, the only one who's not in the argument and isn't focusing on sitting in a certain seat, is Jesus. And this is so good. Because I don't know about you, but if you were my 12 friends, and I told you what was about to happen, and you just said, who can sit at my side, I would have like been really mad at you. Come on, say amen. But Jesus doesn't get angry. He doesn't get angry at the disciples for not caring about his needs. But what I love about Jesus, everybody say humility, is he calls them out aside to, set, to meet their needs. Why? Because he knew their hearts. He knew their hearts. And Jesus knows your hearts today. Even though we make mistakes, even though we get off track, he knows your hearts. 
it was interesting because at the bring your own fork, I was talking to Jay afterwards and and because I was talking to Jay afterwards because a couple kids came up to me and they said, Pastor Vic, what? I said, what? They said, man, we got to wear Jay's Super Bowl ring. And I was like, what do you mean you got to wear his ring? They said, yeah, we got to put it on, got to take our picture. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, I talked to Jay when I took him back to the airport the next day. I said, Jay, I said, I'm, I said, did you really let those kids wear your Super Bowl ring? He said, yeah. And I said, it's worth you know, however many years ago, it was probably worth twenty-five or $30,000. It's one of a kind. There's only 52 of them. And I'm thinking, what if they would have dropped it? Or I know some of them, what if they would have stole it? No, but anyway. <laughs> and, I, and I said, and I said, what if they would have dropped it and it would have got scratched? And, and this is what he said. He said, Vic, it's just a ring. And he said, what I've learned, what I've learned, he said, is those kids will remember that moment forever because they didn't get to wear a replica. They got to wear an original. And they'll remember that, and they'll be able to link that moment to the message that they can do anything through Christ Jesus. Come on, give the Lord a great big hand. It's a humbling moment. See, Jesus understood that they were afraid. And it's painful to see how quickly we can become selfish when we get afraid and when we get anxious and we get angry or whatever that is in our life that suddenly when we get afraid, those emotions start coming out. And the Bible says Jesus calmed the disciples' anxiety by refocusing their hearts. And we pick that up in verse 43. It says, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Don't miss what Jesus said. If you want greatness, which we're going to talk about the next couple of weeks, you want to be great, then be humble. Humble servants are the greatest in God's kingdom. Humble servants... Servants focus on, 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 on the someone and not the everyone. Don't miss what I'm saying. Jay focused on the someone with those little kids. The someone. Humble servants focus more on the individual and the person than the task. And this strong connection between our desire to be great and the decision to humbly serve, don't miss that connection over the next couple of weeks. Because the great mistake that we make is this. It's easy to think that being humble means we pretend that we don't have desires for greatness. But we all have desires for greatness, amen? Nothing is further from the truth. We all have that, according to Jesus. What did we pray over Maddie, Psalm 37? That God will grant the desires of her heart. Man, God places those desires. He wants us to get into greatness. He's just saying there's a way to be great that lasts eternity. There's a way to be great that affects other people's eternity. When the disciples express ambitions for greatness in, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus didn't rebuke them for it. He didn't tell them, don't stop wanting to be great. He was like, hey, you're just off kelter a little bit. Let me do a small course correction. And instead he said, any one of you wanting to be the greatest must 
to be least and servant of all. Servant of all. And guys, next Sunday night at 7 o'clock, right after student live night, we need to transform this auditorium into the women's event. And if you're interested, we need about five more guys to serve and, and then about five guys to serve on Tuesday, more, on Tuesday night. But if you're interested, just message me. We're getting a group of guys together that right after the students go outside, we're going to come in, pull all these chairs out, clean it up, set up 40 tables and 300 chairs and, and all that kind of stuff. So 7 o'clock tomorrow or next Sunday night, amen. But we all have a desire for greatness. And Jesus taught us to translate our desire for greatness into actions of humility. Jesus taught our, translate our desire to be significant into a de decision to serve, not the task, but the individual. And to humbly serve. Don't miss this. Not just serving, but to humbly serve means you focus on the someone and not the everyone. That's the key. And when we plug this truth into our life, suddenly you'll have the greatest relationships possible and the greatest life possible. I call it a John 10.10 life or as an Ephesians 3.20 life. And the sad reality is because it's so difficult to see this connection, Many of us never strive towards godly or biblical humility that make us truly great. They miss the humility that could cause them to make an immeasurable impact on the world. To build a marriage that shines like a light to the world. To make them the kind of parents that we need in this world of chaos. To be that employer or employee. that all of a sudden impacts the kingdom in a way that you can't imagine. Study the Bible. This was far from the only time that Jesus talked to the disciples about true greatness coming through the path of service. But it was constant, constant through his teachings in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because Jesus followed his statements about becoming great through serving in what I call a daily greatness quiz. And they'll put it up here. This is the daily greatness quiz that I need to ask myself. Matthew comes from Matthew chapter 23, verse 12. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So every day you've got a test that you get to ask yourself two questions. Will I exalt myself? Will I humble myself? Every day we need to ask ourselves with every decision that we make in life, in every relationship we face the same test, will I humble myself, will I exalt myself? Think about when we decide what kind of car we're going to go, the career path we choose, the clothes that we wear, the restaurants we eat at, whatever that is, this test is in front of you daily. Will I exalt myself? Will I humble myself? No matter what it is, no matter the situation, for example, will I be the first to apologize after an argument? What will I do with the remote control? Can I handle this disagreement with my friend? Will I exalt myself or will I humble myself? Because you have to choose one because you can't choose both. Everybody say humility. Last night my wife got into bed and, 
It was about 9 o'clock, and I was watching a couple, just sort of, I was sleeping and watching a couple of the football games and American Pickers and about five TV shows at once. And she goes, it's 9 o'clock. She says, where's the remote? I was like, it's not, I said, it's not 10 o'clock. She goes, no, it's 9 o'clock. Guess who got the remote? Come on, because I, I knew I was preaching this today. So as I close, humility is at the core of any strong relationship. And we cannot have good and growing relationships if we're not humble. I think about Cliff Hester and Scott Robinson, who serve on the Dream Center. And Scott loads cars, and Cliff is there loading carts and breaking down cardboard. And when everybody's done eating lunch on Wednesday... When everybody else is resting, they're walking around the tables and picking up everybody's trash and putting it in the trash can. They're not taking that extra five, ten minutes to rest, but they're serving. And I think about Peggy Davis, who serves and hangs clothes and does all that. And even though she's, she's there, she comes in and she helps wipe down all the tables. Even though she could be resting, she's wiping down. And I, and I think about Ann Lucas, and I think about Rita Carlton, and I, I think about Richard Compton, who served on the First Impressions Dream Team here. And, and after service, when everybody else is taken off to go to lunch and, and get out of the situation, they're walking through the sanctuary, picking up all the stuff to make sure it looks excellent for the second service. They're not doing it to get attention, and most people don't notice, but I do notice. And the truth is, we cannot have good and healthy, growing relationships if we're not humble. Because selfishness destroys relationships. I believe selfishness is the number one cause of divorces. Because humility develops relationships. When I do weddings, I try to tell couples. I said the third aspect of covenant is at the expense of your own needs you provide for each other. And I said, what Trish and I simply try to do, and we're not perfect at it, but we simply try to outserve each other. Because really, when you become married, you become one. And so really, when you're taking care of your spouse, you're really taking care of you, amen? And your kids, as long as they're in your house, they're a gift from God, they're part of you. And I believe it's not spoiling. But when you do it unto the least of them, you're really doing it to Jesus, and they're really part of you. I had a, a seven-year-old come up to me before church, and she wanted to show me something. And I was pretty cool, because I only knew the opposite, but she taught me something new. It's, it's so cool. She came up and she goes, you know what this means? And I'm like, I'm thinking Aquaman. Three, I'm a princess. And she goes, it means winner. And I thought that's so good because all I knew was loser. <laughs> but I humbled myself and learned something from a child. And I've learned from me for me that I have to put humility 
at my core to put aside selfishness. Because see, I know me that if I allowed this, it would ruin me. And that's why I take out the garbage during events. That's why I'll walk through and pick up trash because I know me. And I know if I don't do it and be intentional about it, I won't like the person that I'll become. And neither would you. And I close with this. See, people think it's this choice of humbling themselves and exalt themselves. Well, God will humble me. God will exalt me. God will whatever. He lifts me up. God lies me down. God humbles me. God exalts me. And that's not what Jesus taught. Don't miss this. Verse 12. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Everybody say, my choice. And so we're going to unpack this over the next couple of weeks and set you up for greatness in your life to see how humility makes for great relationships, how humility makes you great in life's challenges, life's challenges like ambitions, the need to be noticed. And it's okay to be noticed, but you got to know how to do it right. Our tendency to compare our relationship vertically with God as we talk about what Jesus taught us on true greatness. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Josh, come on up. We're going to get ready to water baptize Josh in a minute. Excited for him. But before we do that, before we baptize Josh, I want you to ask yourself, the first thing that you've got to humble yourself in is say, you know what? I need to make sure that Jesus is my Savior and I'm going to heaven. Maybe it's the very first time or maybe it's the hundredth time. And it's real simple. Because right now it's vertical. It's between you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you don't know if you would go to heaven if you died right now, we want to make sure we we secure that for you. And Josh, when he gets baptized, that's, he made an inward decision. And water baptism is an outward declaration of that inward decision. And right now, if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to just figure out a prayer. I'm going to throw some words and you sort of make it your words. But just pray it from your heart. You don't have to change. But you just say, dear Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my heart. Please forgive me where I've sinned and made mistakes in my life. And Lord, I know I don't have it all together. And I may never have it all together. And Lord, I've messed up a lot. You know that and I know that. And Jesus says, so what? If you confess your sins, I'm faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And the God who can do everything can't, remember, can't do this one thing. He can't remember your past when you confess it and put it under the blood of Jesus. All he knows is he's given you a brand new start to greatness. He's given you a brand new start to greatness. And if you prayed that prayer in your heart, then your next step is to fill out that connect card in the seat back in front of you. Say, hey, I'm making that decision for the very first time. I'm recommitting my life to Christ. 
And, you know, if you want to be water baptized, growth tracks at 11 o'clock would be a great next step or very soon because it helps establish a foundation. Join a small group. They kick off next week. But fill out that card. Drop it in the black box. You can leave it with somebody up here at the altar that will be praying for you after service. Give it to me. I'd love to hug your neck and know about your decision. I'll probably be out front.